The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Uh, you can let us know what you did. You can send us an email, dean at tntradio.live. Of course, you can get on the website and do it, or better still, get into and a part of the online chat at the tntradio.live website, or of course, by simply downloading the app on your phone or smart device, and it makes it a lot more interactive, a lot more fun, and we'd love if you could do that. Big thank you to Chris Smith. Great to have Chris back, and of course, he'll be back the same time tomorrow. Now, we're getting to that part of the year here in Australia where I used to dread when I did commercial talkback radio, I used to absolutely dread it because you would have a, you know, you wouldn't just have uh, conservative people watching or lis- listening in that case. You would simply have a pretty good cross-section of what is Australia. And inevitably, on Australia Day, you would get the haters. Now, you'd never, ever hear the haters on my program. I had a policy, and it always has been my policy to take one, take all, come one, come all. I'll take your call, I'll let you have your say. But there was one exception to that, and that is you're not going to ru- ruin Australia Day for everybody else. You're just not going to do it. You're not going to use it as a soapbox to get up and uh, spread your hatred. And that typically is what it is. And, of course, the mainstream media handing out, handing the keys to the kingdom over to those who wish to disparage Australia and True Blue Australians, and that's anybody who wants a better Australia for their kids moving forward, who doesn't want to dwell in the past, and who doesn't want to uh, have confected outrage that they've had injected into their psyche, because these people were never done harm personally. They wouldn't understand that which their their ancestors went through. But here, here they are today expressing this outrage. And I just think it's confected. And I think it it becomes real over time. And I think it becomes hatred. It certainly is uh, division. We can't deny that. But you're going to get all these people on Australia Day who will burn the Australian flag, who want to change the day, who want to call it Invasion Day to say that it was a war. And it wasn't a war. It was never a war. It was never an invasion. And in fact, if we had not come here, There would have been a war. There would have been an invasion, possibly, probably from uh, Indonesia, certainly Japan, 70 or 80 years ago, because they needed natural resources. They could have just walked right in, walked right in, and they didn't do too well in the Second World War, as you might remember, because Australia was colonised. And it's amazing how people have this very misguided view of history and how history would turn out, oh, if it wasn't for you white fellas, I wouldn't have to cop this. Well, if it wasn't for these white fellas, uh, these white fellas, you may not be in a position to even say that. And for those of you who don't believe me, and I don't think we have any of those people watching TNT radio or listening to TNT, but simply, again, those in the public who think that I might be making that up, well, have a look at West Papua. Have a look at how the Indonesians, and not 200 years ago, not 220 or 230 years ago, but right now, today, in West Papua, are treating the West Papuans. And that might give some Indigenous people, many of whom, of course, uh, aren't Indigenous or certainly not the way that they would have us believe, who simply like to tick a box on a bit of paper because it'll get you a discount. It'll get you a, a free run in many uh, a circumstance. But Australia overwhelmingly saying no, no, no. And not just to that, but to a whole bunch of your nonsense. And, of course, you are welcome. You are welcome to our country. 
Welcome to Australia, because we are all Australians. We don't need some sort of sanctimonious crap inviting us to our own country. We're not going to put up with it. I don't know why anybody stands for it. I literally sit for it at sporting events. But as we get closer to what they call Invasion Day, we're going to have to put up with this nonsense in the mainstream media. But of course, you won't if you've turned all that crap off. Just switch it off. You won't have to deal with it. But yeah, and most of them don't even understand what it was about. I used to get them ringing up. Oh, I don't like this day. Why don't you like this day in particular? And this was the most common answer. They'd say it was the day Captain Cook came to Australia. No, no, no. Captain Cook didn't do any of that. Absolutely, he did not. The first fleet, it was the landing. Of course, the raising of the Union flag. It was by Arthur Phillip at Sydney Cove. And you can still go down there, that landing spot. It's historic. You can go down there. There's like a little national park area. It's very nice, by the way. You should go down there. Nice ice cream there too, by the way. Um, I would suggest you go down there and see what really happened, learn what history is really about. And for those who want to have a go at good old Captain Cook, Captain Cook was very good with the natives. Captain Cook was a bit too nice, some would argue, with the natives. In fact, uh, not wanting to start a conflict, but certainly being the victim of a conflict himself. He actually died at the hands of natives. So I think Captain Cook, uh, his reputation may speak for himself. We simply wanted to expand. We wanted to uh, uh, branch out England in any way. And certainly... I do realise historically you probably weren't uh, treated overly well, but then again, either were the prisoners. And I don't see any confected historic outrage by the people who have ancestors who were prisoners, who came over here in chains. Should they not also have outrage? Should they also not be upset? I don't know. I say we're here. We're here today. We can't go back in time. We can't change things. And we are all here. We are all here as a result of a series of events that worked very well, and despite the astronomical odds against each of us being here as individuals, I mean, if our parents didn't have date night that night, we wouldn't be here. There are so many variables that go into us being here and talking today here on TNT News Talk that um, we need to just thank the God above and thank whoever it is, your deity, or just thank life for uh, being kind enough to have us all here. Let's move forward. Let's build a better tomorrow for our kids. And I think that is the way we should treat Australia because Australia is terrific and it will uh, only be terrific as long as we help to make it terrific, as will you, I hope, here at TNT because we never go home. We are committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what, and we've got you covered here at today's News Talk TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And it is this time that I welcome to the program the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? Hi, Dean. Yes, good morning here in the UK. And I know afternoon where you are. But uh, yeah, uh, I was listening with the interest there. It's really good to get a steer on you know, a little bit of Australian history. I'm Captain Cook, you know, from Middlesbrough here in the UK. I've been to Captain Cook Park up in the northeast of England. And yeah, it's uh, it's context that's needed, isn't it? And also, you've got to look at where we are now. You know, we have to all get on. We have to all look at the current situation, what's right in front of us, not always dwelling on the past is never a good idea in any circumstance of life, is it? It's not, but Jim, I mean, it's just common sense. I mean, Australia, have a look at the natural resources that exist in Australia. Now, if uh, the English didn't come here and colonise the place, who would have come? And uh, again, have a look at places that were much more likely because they were our northern neighbours, New Guinea, uh, sorry, um, 
like, you know, have a look at what's happening. Sorry, I was just reading it. At Papua New Guinea, it's just absolutely horrific what's going on up there. And it was absolutely likely that was going to be the case across all of Australia um, and historically where there was no media to uh, be accountable or no global governance to be accountable for, the outcome would have been far worse for people who refer to themselves as Indigenous here, something you don't have to deal with there in the UK. And of course, because the uh, UK native population is people such as yourself, um, again, not likely to be uh, uh, looked after by the current status quo that is our political system, quite the opposite, I would suggest. Yeah, I mean, it's UK, we kind of a mixed mash of all different. Uh, we've been invaded so many times by so many different cultures. You've got the Viking culture, you've got the German cultures. You know, we had French. It's, it's we're all we're a mishmash of all kind of different things um, as well. You know, I think, I think there's any uh, a continent or country that hasn't at some point had an amalgamation with other cultures because we that's how life goes, isn't it? You you have periods of calm, then periods of instability, then periods when other people come in. Um, and we are we are one global culture. We are the human race. We are the human race. Uh, we are all human beings. I think the, the kind of lesson in what you're saying is, is about tolerance and learning to uh, rub along and get along. Otherwise, conflict is everywhere all the time. And I think we've all had enough of that. I think that's a, a definite. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many terrific, um, you know, uh, uh, people who are native to this island, if you will, uh, here in Australia. It's a small, angry group who just wish to spread the anger, the disharmony, and I don't know what it gets them. Um, we did just have that recently, that referendum, and it was an overwhelming no. It was well and truly over 60%. It was in all states and territories here in Australia. And uh, here they are now, uh, some people asking Anthony Albanese, our Prime Minister, and I, I hate saying that, but he is, uh, I can't argue with that. It doesn't feel like he's a leader, that's for sure, but asking him to legislate that now. And it's one thing to ask somebody to legislate that in general, but to ask that after, after a referendum where the people have said in the most official capacity and measurable uh, way possible that it is an overwhelming no, for you to go ahead and even consider that. And just to say, well, I'm sorry, but the people have spoken, we can't do that, obviously. Um, to go ahead and even entertain that idea moving forward shows the utter disdain that the politicians have, and they're only there to represent us, and they seem to have forgotten that a long, long time ago. Oh, that 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 has echoes of the Brexit vote here in this country. You know, the, the referendum delivered a very clear result. And then there's been so much backpedaling since about, well, can we can we fudge it? Can we stay in? Can we kind of stay in? You know, the re the result was the result. And we talked about this before. Um, it, it reminds me of my days on a, a big daily paper before I joined broadcast media. And the editor of that paper gave us a very stern lecture when we were all trainees. And she said, listen, with when it comes to campaigns, you must only pick a campaign if you're a campaigning paper, which you know you can win. Because if you do, if you don't win, the fallout is is just it's too much to bear, and it destroys reputations. And of course, I thought I took that advice with me in my life, and it it's it's borne out in in the referendum you had, and obviously with the Brexit referendum that we had uh, several years ago. Now, only to start a campaign if you know you can win. Yeah, it'd be really nice just to be acknowledged as uh, the people who actually pay their salaries. But again, I mean, they are answerable to those who got them into the position. And many would, would uh, say because of the way part, the party system works here in Australia and there in the UK, that uh, it's not us who puts them there. It's not us who uh, changes the pecking order. It's not us who gets to determine who gets pre-selected for certain seats. And of course, 
that whole process has been hijacked now by global governance and it's becoming so obvious to anybody with their eyes open, anybody with half a brain can see it from a thousand miles out. So I don't know at what point the people are going to say enough's enough um, and I just hope it's not because uh, not until there is uh, an unreversible amount of damage done but I would argue that may already be the case. Well, it's funny you should talk about the the irreversible damage done because that does bring me on to a story I want to talk about uh, before we get up to the the break here at TNT, uh, and that's and it's a story that uh, it ties in with a story that's just broken today, which is there's a singer James Morrison. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He sang that song "You Gave Me Something." His wife died suddenly uh, just a few days ago. So it's been the information's been released to the press. She was 45. They've got two children. He's absolutely devastated. Uh, no suspicious circumstances, but it's a sudden death in a young person. So whatever the cause, we can all speculate what the cause might be. Uh, there's no official uh, release of what the cause of death is, but it's a sudden death. It will be an excess death because of her age. Um, and we all know how many of those there have been over the last few years. And it ties in with this story that, you know, the irreversible damage, but I think the tide is turning. Um, I mean, the actual headline of this story won't be any surprise to, to people listening to TNT, but the fact is now it's becoming into the mainstream these people are getting their voices heard on on bigger platforms. And I, I, I will take this story as a win, I think. And let's get the week off into a positive note because uh, it's so easy otherwise to get bogged down in the doom and gloom of the world. Uh, but it's that the AstraZeneca, people who've had the AstraZeneca jab and been uh, what they claim, uh, and I think we'll all agree, uh, seriously damaged with serious side effects. They claim uh, that they were silenced on social media and they've been censored on all platforms. Now, this ties in with the two uh, very brave people that are taking AstraZeneca to court. They're suing them in the High Court under the UK Consumer Protection Act, uh, which is a very clever way of doing it. They're saying the product that they were given was not fit for purpose. That could apply to a washing machine, a fridge, a car, you know, and the UK Consumer Protection Act. Uh, those people taking AstraZeneca to the High Court say they were silenced. And it's now, I knew this would happen. It's opened the floodgates for other people who claim they had the AstraZeneca were damaged and were silenced. They're all coming rushing forward. The, the people claiming what these two uh, case studies are claiming, that they were silenced, shadow banned, taken off YouTube. Um, they're not involved in this high court battle at all. I think they will probably be waiting to see the result of this high court hearing and they, they will probably come forward too. And it could spell the end for, for AstraZeneca. You know, let's hope so. Um, so uh, the main the main players in this are UKCV family and they're an online uh, group of more than a thousand uh, members who all claim that they were uh, damaged by the vaccine. Its founder was a woman who ran her own fitness business. She took the AstraZeneca jab while she was volunteering at a vaccination centre. She subsequently developed severe myocarditis and she's got arrhythmia and she lost her sports business of 13 years. She can now no longer walk and she was bed bound for weeks. She claims that she was um, shadow banned. She set up the group because she had no one to talk to. She claims that, her, uh, that they have to talk in coded language just because they want to find people. She says they're not even anti-vax. You know, she said, we're not anti-vax and we don't want anyone to claim we are. We just want to get our stories told and heard. Now, um, Facebook has admitted and Meta won't comment on this, uh, that it has used the algorithms and we all know about that. Um, and YouTube has also uh, come under criticism for banning lawyers at the UK COVID inquiry, just giving evidence about the vaccines. No, 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 we're going to ban that too. Um, so it's all coming out now. It's all coming out into the mainstream. Now, you can say, oh, the mainstream's all controlled opposition. I, do, I don't think it's quite as cut and dried as that. I think a lot of people have had a, a U-turn 
on where they were three to four years ago with vaccines and people claiming vaccine damage. I think there's a lot of people whose eyes are well and truly open now, given the sheer amount of people coming forward. Uh, and we've all got our own stories. Even journalists, I know, will have their own stories of people that they know, either anecdotally or friends and family who had the jab, rolled up their sleeves, you know, willingly had this thing stuck in them and now are suffering adverse reactions. It ties in, of course, with this poor singer, his wife, 45 years old, another sudden death. We don't know the cause. I think we'll all kind of have a very strong intuition of what the cause might be. Um, but th I think we'll take this as a win this morning that people are coming forward, claiming they've been silenced, claiming they've been banned, but they're not giving up. And now their voices are really starting to be heard, much like the story about the post office victims still waiting for their compensation. But at least their stories are being heard and they're winning against these big, massive organizations and they've got support. And I'm really hoping that this story this morning about people coming forward saying we've been silenced, they're now being listened to. They weren't being listened to three or four years ago when they were having the jab, but at least they're being listened to now. And of course, Jim, it's a terrific motivator when those around you, plenty of people that you know and love, friends, are starting to speak up. You know, they're not feeling quite as good as they used to, and many of them starting to uh, join the dots, as it were. And I think as time goes by, it'll get to the point where you can't, you know, just ignore it anymore. Heads and truly, uh, well and truly entrenched in the sand for some, but they're pulling them out and they're raising them up above the wall now. So let's hope that is a trend that continues. Jim Cooper, thank you for joining us. You'll, of course, be back next hour here at TNT. And coming up after the break, everybody, we'll have Dr. Alan Moran. Stick around. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around. So that's not really taking off the way they want to either. And then she said something very interesting. She said, you know what? When the water crisis comes, people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water. And if you don't have water for a few days at a time, you'll know all about it. So maybe, you know, we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's, what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a World Economic Forum type narrative. Could this be what it is? Locked in Loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT.
Welcome back to the program. Thank you for joining us here at today's News Talk TNT. My next guest, Dr. Alan Moran. You would be no stranger to Dr. Alan Moran. He is uh, the principal of regulation economics. He's also a noted economist and a public policy expert and uh, drawing light in The Spectator in one of his many articles that he's written uh, over time. And it's been 20 years since John Howard's renewable energy policy. Yeah, you people who love the Liberal Party and think it's only the lefties, it goes back a long, long way. And to tell us all about it, we've got with us Dr. Alan Moran. G'day, Alan. How are you going? Hi, Dean. Good to see you. Yeah, you're right. Uh, John Howard did kick it off. Uh, to his credit, though, he recognised it was a mistake once he started it. And he, he then, uh, when people were urging him to expand the programme, he, uh, he refused. But of course, then he lost office and we had the great messiah Kevin Rudd came in and, and, and Rudd turbocharged it like mad. And it's the programme we have right now. Uh, and and the costs of it have, have gone up up and up. Essentially, uh, uh, the wind and the and the solar uh, it does require a subsidy, roughly the same sort of level as the real price, the total price uh, of energy electricity in the years before uh, the the regulations came in, uh, and we've seen it uh, increased even more by the present government with various new facets. Uh, t taking place and a, a new program to require the largest 215 uh, energy users to reduce their emission levels by 30% by 2030 and that's going to be costly. All of this costs money and it's reflected either in lower levels of activity or, or higher prices for consumers and, and, and everybody else. So we've seen, we've seen the whole process marching forward at quite a rate and uh, continuing to march forward we've seen some some wrinkles in this taking place and one of the aspects which has come to light in the last day or so is um is in in victoria where the federal government's uh, environment uh minister tanya plibersek has knocked back a proposal which uh, would re would require some building uh, facilities to allow offshore wind to be serviced adequately and uh, she's done so uh, this is almost unique where the environment uh, minister knocks back a proposal which is to do with renewable energy as you know environmental regulations and environmental policing is essentially a political act i mean we, ha we have semi-quasi courts and people like that have, people have their say but in the end the, there's so much uncertainty around that it just depends on what the minister wants and in this case uh Plibersek is basically knocking back uh, a requirement and it's a bit of a tit for tat because um the, the victorian government itself had knocked back or has knocked back a, a proposal for an import facility for gas. In this case, the Victorian government says, no, no, we don't need gas. We're going to go 95% renewable energy and come hell or high water. And even the feds are saying, well, I mean, that's, that's a bit too much. I don't think we can make it like that. But uh, the Victorian government uh, uh, and, and uh, Ms. D'Ambrosio is saying that she's going to do that. So there's a kind of a bit of a, 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 a tit for tat going on there. Uh, and a, a sense of quasi-realism on the part of the federal government to say that, you know, you can't do this without you prove it with gas. And they have this new facility uh, basically to uh, to subsidise uh, firming capacity, which has to be gas, really. Uh, but the, the Victorian government is rejecting any use of that for the time being. 
there's always a catch whenever you think that we have a win. If you look at it just that little bit closer, you find out that that money will probably be channeled to go somewhere else in that same kind of spectrum. Uh, yeah. I know Craig Kelly was very excited because I'm getting him up uh, after I talked to you this afternoon and I saw him tweet about it. I read it in your article as well. And uh, that's what I love about you, Alan. You're always keeping it real. You're keeping it grounded. Mate, the information is always phenomenal, uh, by the way. Mate, so what can we expect, uh, you know, in the future? Oh, hang on, before I even get onto that, when they take these things away, and of course, we know this organically doesn't happen. You don't see businesses adopting any of this technology unless there's some sort of hidden government subsidy there. But do you think a lot of this backing off might be because the sheer economics of it, the, the debt levels of some of the states here in Australia are just absolutely not going to allow for it? Well, I think that's partly the thing, the, the case. And uh, certainly there's a very ambitious requirement for new transmission, which which the, the government won't pay that you and I will pay that but the government will mandate that you and I pay it so there are those costs going on there's a lot of uh, ground in, in ground opposition to transmission lines and to new facilities from the part of view of the rural sector and things so the, there's these sorts of things slowing it down but to put it in perspective you know what what we really need if we are going to get to the sort of 85% or 82% renewable usage we're talking about a lot more, five or eight times as much windmills and, and solar farms as we presently have, if we are going to get there. And even then, we'll need some firming capacity in terms of gas or whatever else. And the costs are going to be very much higher. The costs are going to be double what we're presently paying, paying for the electricity, probably more than that. Uh, and so we are, re we are replacing a low-cost, highly reliable system based on coal with one which is high-cost, and is unreliable and requires an awful lot more expenditure just to make it work. It does. Alan, a bunch more questions. We've got the news headlines to get to, but of course we'll be uh, returning with Dr. Alan Moran here at today's News Talk TNT right after this break. Rolling. TNT Radio News. This is news. Here we go. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The Pentagon has come under fire for hiding the news that America's Defence Secretary had spent the past week in hospital incapacitated in intensive care. Elon Musk has hit back at the Wall Street Journal after the outlet published a hit piece on the billionaire. Israel claims to have dismantled Hamas's military framework in northern Gaza. And North Korea has warned the South it'll be hit by a baptism of fire, saying the safety locks on the triggers of Pyongyang's military have been lifted. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. And we're back with Dr. Alan Moran. He is, of course, the principal of regulation, economics, writes terrific articles. And of course, you can catch many of those in places such as The Spectator. And um, Alan, I want to get back to a couple of things. I mean, now we're talking about, you know, a renewable future. And as much as we'd like to uh, resist, I dare say those in politics will push forward no matter what the cost. In fact, the cost may indeed be the goal to get us into a great deal of debt. That's my take on it. But that aside, um, when they get rid of this reliable infrastructure that we have, so the coal-fired the coal-fired power stations, for example, a, I believe they'll basically bulldoze them as soon as they can. So we can't just go back five months later after a string of blackouts and say, well, we got it wrong, let's fire them back up and reassess. But to have this whole wind and solar thing, without batteries, and I mean big batteries, and let's face it, uh, on an Australia-wide level, they really can't do it. I mean, it would cost 
correct me if I'm wrong, about ten to $15,000 per household to capture enough energy during the day to probably get you through the night reliably, where you can live comfortable, feel like you're in a first world country. So, I mean, it's really not, not feasible at all. I mean, I've looked at it from 20 different angles. I just don't see how we're going to get through this without going back to uh, the days of like the Flintstones, for example. Well, that that would be one option, and, and a lot of people who are promoting this are, do want that. They want to deindustrialize and reduce living standards. Uh, others say, well, no, we're going to have these gee whiz technological breakthroughs. You wait and see, they're going to come. Well, they haven't come so far, and indeed, the cost of renewables has has increased quite con considerably over the last few years, uh, which is leading to some problems. I mean, the, we we had the situation off uh, of the the east coast of the USA where. Basically, the, uh, the, the the commitments have been made by by firms to actually sell to various uh, utilities in the U.S. And some of the, the firms who are selling it said, "No, no, we've got to increase the cost, we've got to increase the price uh, by by fifty percent or more." And that's uh, stymied some of the use in in North America. And uh, you've got the situation also in the U.K. where uh, a, a massive increase in what they call the the back to back con. con tracks which uh, the government is paying the wind, wind producers offshore vast increase in the price there it's called a contract for difference uh, so the, those sorts of things are happening in terms of the the cost which is going to have some effect and as you say batteries we have nowhere in the world where we have batteries grid style batteries which hold power we've got batteries and they they're useful for balancing 10 seconds or five seconds or whatever else have got a genuine role there. But in terms of holding capacity for hours and hours and indeed days and days, uh, we don't have any batteries like, operating like that and probably never will have. And the worst part is, let's say, by some magical power, we were to give everybody in the first world, everybody in the first world, $100,000, more than enough money to go and buy a Tesla, maybe install some charges at their place. We have to look at, I mean, first of all, I don't think we have enough raw materials to make the batteries, uh, certainly not for a second generation um, on the planet. So the whole thing is really just pie in the sky. It is just absolutely the pot at the end of the rainbow. You'll never get to it. It's not realistic. So unless there was markedly less people in the world, could we actually do this unless they could start making batteries out of sand and seawater? <laughs> I mean, or some mystical uh, new technology. There's nothing on the horizon that's even close to letting us do this, is there? No, there's nothing at all. I mean, there, there, you know, there's lots of pie in the sky, uh, but there's nothing on the horizon. And and in fact, we haven't even made a start. As I say, there is not not one place in the world where there are grid style uh, battery uh, battery storage systems capable of doing anything, capable of, of of more than a couple of days storage. And when you're talking about wind and solar, you're talking about you know, you've got a, if you've got a coal plant or a nuclear plant, it goes for 95% of the time, all the time, whenever you want to, to go. Wind and solar at most goes for 30% of the time, and it's, it's highly volatile, it's highly erratic when it does go. So you're going to have a lot more storage for it in order to fill those gaps. And that's when you get to the costs. And, you know, you mentioned costs of $14,000 per household. It's probably more than that. We're talking about, you know, several times GDP in order to, to firm up the capacity uh, to allow this uh, this thing to operate in, in such a way where, you know, we, we don't have constant blackouts. Now, I mean, again, I just want to get back to the financial aspect of this. I mean, I think any thinking person, I mean, without even, you know, being such as yourself, any thinking person who can just look at the basics, 
you realise that this is not sustainable. It's certainly not affordable. These politicians, as much as I don't trust most of them, let's face it, a lot of them seem to be quite intelligent. They've accomplished quite a lot in their personal lives. So failing that they're, they're stupid, which they're not, um, and surely they've got a level of intuition, um, what could be their ultimate goal? I mean, why would they be pushing something that they know can't possibly work and that will see our grandkids in an unpayable amount of debt? Well, I think there's a, a, an unbridled optimism uh, in some respects. I mean, basically, they read the uh, the opinion polls. I mean, politicians aren't leaders, they're essentially followers, and they, they read the opinion polls and everyone say, says, well, you know, would you like clean energy or, or dirty energy? Well, clean energy, of course. Uh, and, and then they, they have... Uh, various various uh, institutions have been financed by uh, the clean energy industry and basically they say well you know costs of i mean what what could go wrong cost of wind is free the sun is free the wind is free it's just a question of harnessing it and, and that's a piece of cake well it's not a piece of cake uh, certainly and it's always the case if you can get it, 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 the, the the wind and the solar power is cheap but it's when it's produced, but when it, when you need it, it is not cheap because that, that means you've actually got to do things to firm it up. So what becomes, you think is, is like, well, in the case of $40 a megawatt hour, or $50 a megawatt hour, it basically becomes $100 a megawatt hour when you firmed it up. And basically, and, and in order to get there, we started, we, we started talking about John Howard. Initially, there was this subsidy being put on there, a hidden subsidy, but it was a subsidy which was everyone knew what it was, $50. Uh, but this was just to get us over the hump because everybody knows that 10 years from now, oh, the technology is going to advance and we're going to, uh, we're going to be even cheaper. Well, guess what? We're not even cheap. We're just the same price, if not dearer. And, and let's face it, Alan, let's get out there. You, I mean, you and I would be 1,000% on board with this technology if it was fair income, if it was achievable, and if it was real. I'm not going to bag it out. I mean, some people have a go at me just because I'm quite happy that I've got 10,000 kilowatts worth of, you know, uh, solar panels. Uh, sorry, 10,000 watts worth of, uh, 10 kilowatts worth of solar panels on my roof. And it's reduced my power bill by mm -hmm. a significant amount, about $600. But having said that, had we not sold off our electricity infrastructure, to private interest years ago, I wouldn't need to have done that because it would have been so cheap and we had the cheapest electricity pretty much anywhere in the world at one point, didn't we? Well, we did. I'm not sure it's because we sold them off, but it's because we basically implemented measures which cost, which forced up the price by uh, reducing their capability to operate full-time against the kind of subsidised power, like the stuff that you've got on your roof essentially well that a third of that was paid by other consumers i mean and and, and nothing wrong with you did doing that was what the government had allowed to do the reason why you put it on your roof why you thought it was cheap and it is cheap is because one third of the cost was paid for by a hidden subsidy called the the, the, the sres it's called but essentially that subsidy facilitated the construction of the of the panels onto your roof and we uh, keep the roof and we keep coming back to that, um, Alan, don't we, that uh, nobody's doing this where there are no subsidies. Nobody is doing it. No, there's not. I mean, the only people who are doing it are people who are doing it for PR purposes, and you can only take that so far. Very small numbers of people who are doing it for that for, for any reason other than they're, they're getting paid to do it. Yeah, it'd be nice if that those subsidies were just a word on paper. There's a word, it's called subsidies. It means I get things cheap. People, unfortunately, not realising that's real money that somebody has to pay. And, of course, because we borrowed it, we're paying 
um, you know, recently record amounts of interest on. And it's just going to be a horrific thing moving forward until we wake up to ourselves. But people, without people such as yourself, Dr. Alan Moran, we would be lost in the wilderness, mate. And we thank you uh, very much for coming on the program on a regular basis and for keeping us up to speed. Thanks, Dean. Good to be on the program. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Alan Moran. Everybody, you can check him out on Spectator uh, Australia. In fact, you should subscribe to that particular place I did recently, and I'm getting my money's worth and then some, I absolutely promise. Thank you, Dr. Alan Moran. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to uh, Craig Kelly, National Director of the United Australia Party, ex-Liberal Party MP, and a guy who advocated for your health when very few others did. Back after this. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back. We'll go to a very quick call from a man named Andrew, one of the most fair income people you'll ever meet, somebody who advocates for people, uh, not just himself, but certainly for people that uh, need that extra bit of assistance, a man that has uh, a couple of dogs who keep him company, um, a man, I'll, I'll let him I'll let him tell you about it, and then we'll discuss something that he did recently. What a nice fellow. Andrew, how are you going? Dean, I'm very well. Thank you for taking my call again, my friend. Mate, thank you. Shaping up. 
Oh, mate, very well. I've just got to say what, what a nice fellow you are for, for visiting a, a mutual friend of ours who's got dementia in, in hospital, and I would imagine you would have made his day when you went and did that. Mate, it, it was an absolute pleasure. Will we talk about his name? we got to, haven't we? Yeah, mate, mate say, say his name. I think a lot of people already... Yeah, mate, Carter Edwards, for those that don't know, my mentor, a guy I worked with on Talkback Radio with for, you know, 14 years, the guy who did the Taubman's paint, I did it my way, commercial, um, unfortunately has advanced dementia now. And um, I, Andrew, I told Andrew, and Andrew said, mate, where is he? I need to get up and see him. And he went up there, he took the dogs up. He's got these dogs that keep him company and uh, just a terrific fellow. But I, I had to just say what a genuinely nice thing that was to do. I was really um, quite hit by that. Well, people kept saying to me, what are you going to do for Christmas? I said, God hasn't told me. Because usually I don't participate in Christmas. I've got a daughter I haven't seen for 14 years, but I decided this year I'd participate. And I was up on the Central Coast and I just thought, you know, I've got to do it. And it took some time, <laughs> but uh, we did. We, and then when I was visiting him in the morning, I, we, he talked about his dad, which was interesting on Christmas Day to be talking about your dad because he's the person who gives you presents so. Your parents and we had a wonderful time and, and I had a leg of lamb in the car and some veggies so we went and cooked on a single burner we cooked a roast lamb dinner and when I was doing it this couple pulled up who were doing it tough themselves they're living in a caravan park on Manning Point and they handed me a bag with some prawns a beer and a coke in it and said oh, we how, how Aussie like, is that how that? nice is that exactly and and mate that's what 2024 should be more kindness more love more compassion more grace. You know, when did we hand over so much control to our government? Mate, well, that's the point. We handed it over. They didn't just take it. We allowed it to happen. You know, some people have said through rank cowardice because we didn't want to be called a name. And there will come a time when we think all we had to do was speak up. That's all we had to do. We could have had a mass you know, national strike. We could have done these very simple things and now the damage being almost irrevocable. Uh, time is fleeting. I'm going to make you a, a promise, Andrew, because I know I think you intend running for the Senate at the next election. Absolutely. So what I'll do in the next couple of weeks, mate, we'll organise some time for you to get on because I want to chat with you at length for doing that. But, mate, I just, when you, they said you were on the line, I just wanted to say thank you and what a terrific thing that was that you did for Carter on Christmas Day, mate. It's, uh, it's above and beyond. I think you're terrific for doing that. Mate, well, Carter taught me because he rang me about 12.30 one Sunday night uh, to make sure I was okay after a phone call I made to him a couple of hours earlier. So he set the example for a lot of people. I tell you what, even in, with his state of mind as it is now, he's still got manners and still a gentleman. And there are certain sayings he has that you can just close your eyes and picture him on radio still. And one of my favourites is the fools who make the rules, and certainly there are plenty of those. Uh, mate, Andrew, we'll talk again very, very soon, and I remember the night that you called him. I was working as his producer that night many, many years ago, mate, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, thank you, Andrew. We're going to go straight to uh, Craig Kelly, who is, of course, the National Director of the United Australia Party, the man who advocated for your health, who told you that which you needed to know back when very few others were. Craig Kelly, welcome to the program. Yeah, no, great to be with you, Dean, in 2024. Mate, it's a, how do we get here so quick? And before we get on to anything, uh, Elon Musk, when somebody said, you know, we're going to have a terrific year this year, he was very quick to say, I don't think so. He's very brutal, very honest. Um, I must admit, I, I would tend to mm. concur. I'm a positive person, but I'm also a realist. What are your thoughts on 2024? Look, there's, there are a lot of underlying problems uh, with our economy. 
Uh, there's underlying problems with the global economy. Uh, we've still got this record rate of migration that's come into the place. Um, housing affordability is still going to be a huge issue. Uh, we've had that inflation spike. Even if we get no more inflation, um, you know, people are still struggling with the price of everything. And I was at the supermarket yesterday and was wondering around it. Everything seems so much more expensive than you know, what it was just before Christmas. Um, so, you know, uh, we're also doing a lot. We're in a lot of, we're in the wrong track in so many areas where our investments are in you know, unproductive infrastructure. We see what, uh, you know, Bowen's involved and Albanese is involved. So, I mean, I'd be like, it's always nice to be positive at the start of the year, but we've got to be uh, realistic. And this year is going to be a very tough year for many people. We do. It's just amazing how much our business has changed post the COVID era, if you will. Yeah. Um, just things that you can always get at the supermarket. Now you go up there and one time in 10 that you're there, they're there, or you just have to be lucky uh, yeah. enough to get them. But again, I think it's great to be a realist. I think if we work hard to make this a better world, and enough of us do, we could guarantee it's going to be a better place than that which we found at you know the end of last year. But we have to work uh, very hard towards it. My last guest was Dr. Alan Moran, uh, who writes in The Spectator. He was telling me about the thing that you just made me aware of today when I got onto your Twitter page, that if we are vocal enough and we keep up the pressure, right. we'll, we'll have a win and tell people about you know this win. Well, that's exactly right. We've had, uh, had a big win over the last couple of days. The Albanese government has capitulated on the uh, wind farms that were planned for down uh, off the Victorian coast. They seem to have had the rug pulled underneath them for uh, environmental grounds. But look, the reality is that uh, it was the pressure from the community that has stopped these wind turbines in Victoria. These things make no economic sense. They're environmental vandalism now wherever you put them around the countryside. And now Albanese, uh, for all his faults, he's still a pragmatist. Uh, he still looks at those poll numbers and he looks at the seats and where people might change their boats. And I think offshore wind turbines, if, if you live in a coastal region and you may have a little bit of a, a green tinge to you sort of thing or a little bit of a labour tinge to you, but if you think that the Labor and Greens government are going to go and dump these giant monstrosities offshore and spoil your views forever, that's going to change your vote. So Albanese knows this is a vote changer. So look, in New South Wales here, we've got um, you know, these ridiculous proposals for up uh, off the central coast, up off Nelson's Bay and uh, down off Wollongong. You know, people are actually up in arms. So this was a great encouragement to everyone that's been fighting against those wind turbines. If we keep the pressure up, we can win this battle. It's it's amazing. <laughs> and I, I'm trying not to laugh, but, I mean, these two governments, Labor and the Greens, they really don't know their own core audience or, as we always knew, they really don't care. They just try to align with them on a few things, get just enough votes to squeeze them in over the line. And, of course, whether it be the situation over in Gaza at the moment or what they're doing to the environment by way of their green, clean energy moving forward, they seem to be doing things that are really pissing off their own core audience. Well, the, the idea that these uh, wind turbines and are somehow clean and green, it, it, it's been a nonsense from the start. It's just been a money-making scheme by the people that want to promote and make money out of these things. You know, whether, whether, no matter where you put these wind turbines, if you put them, the other places are a koala habitat. They're chopping down thousands of acres of koala habitat to build those wind turbines up in Queensland and putting them off the coast here of New South Wales where they're just a monstrosity in eyesore, let alone the damage that they do to, uh, to native sea life. Uh, mm. And the things are going to rust. They're, they're not economical. They just push up the price of electricity. It's just purely an ideological uh, push. Everyone uh, thinks they're great when they live in the city when they don't see them, right? You go and have these things, start putting a few up around uh, Sydney Harbour. 
and uh, see how you got pushback you get. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, you're lucky to get 10 years. I mean, really lucky to get 10 years out of them, and that's if they're in some nice inland place. But to suggest you can put them out in the middle of the ocean, everybody's seen a boat, a purpose-built boat, and how well that yeah. does not do sure. when you just leave it leave it alone for a couple of days, let alone yeah. uh, 10 years after it's been in contact with salt water. It's horrific, and the winds and the waves and everything else, just absolutely uh, a nonsense, of course, mate, we, as we go into our global boiling period us and I, i'll say i'm a very proud what they call a cooker um you're either a cooker or apparently because of global boiling you're being cooked yet one of the coolest christmases and rainiest christmases i can remember well i'm sitting here today in sydney and it's it's just over 20 degrees the rain's coming down but it's been like that it's just not just an odd day it's been like that since christmas and i had a look back at the things i posted last year it was the same last year and the same the year before. Like, we've had three very mild, cool Christmases here in Sydney. I think last year we didn't get one 30-degree day in uh, you know, in all of, I think, December and January. We might have had one or two days sort of thing. And it looks like they're being the same this year. So the idea that, you know, there's this global boiling, you know, it's gonna, this is going to collapse. They can't keep this hoax up forever. Uh, it's exactly the same tactic with COVID. You know, a false, uh, cook the numbers, cook the data, drive the scare campaign. But eventually, people will wake up, and I think more and more people—people, people, so many people have been burnt by the COVID scare and realise they've been scammed—are now waking up to hang on. This climate scare is exactly the same tactics. Yeah, mate. And again, you can only ignore things for so long when it comes to politicians. All the good ones have been squeezed out. We're left with bad ones who are becoming increasingly bad with each iteration, if you will. Uh, of course, up north uh, in Queensland, uh, Stephen Miles. And here, here are people almost praying for Palaszczuk to come back. He's so bad. But the good thing, of course, uh, Queensland, who I think historically make much wiser decisions at the ballot box as a whole than any other state or territory here in Australia, um, almost definitely going to go, I would suggest, into a Liberal government. So hopefully some better times ahead for Queensland. Well, just, um, we, we, just on that, we just hope if the Liberals do it in Queensland, they show some backbone and we don't get a repeat of what we saw in uh, South Australia and Western Australia, we had terrible uh, Labor governments, then we had a Liberal government come in, and they were weak and pathetic and, and bowed down to a political correctness. They lasted one term and then were kicked out. Now, that's what we saw in, that's what we've seen in Victoria, how Dan Andrews got in. We've seen this recently in South Australia, that the hopeless Marshall South Australian government over there. Let's hope if the same thing happens in Queensland, uh, at least they show a bit of backbone and get in there and try and do some good. Well, I mean, I dare the dream. It would be nice if we saw, a, you know, if the UAP was there or uh, One Nation, for example, if people would wake up to that extent. Wow, that's when things will really change mm. and people will see improvement. But, of course, uh, Peter Dutton over the last three years, especially the last six months with the the uh, the referendum showing his true colours, I mean, a very lacklustre uh, effort from somebody who's supposedly conservative but certainly a very lacklustre effort and perhaps a glimpse of what people can expect from the Liberal Party moving forward because they're not the Liberal Party that, you know, that you joined originally. Well, look, look what we saw the other day or last month. We had Matt Keane, one of the most senior Liberals here in New South Wales, overseas taking selfies with John Kerry. <laughs> of John Kerry, far left in politics over there in America, wants to put in policies that would destroy the agricultural industry in this country. And be very clear with that. That's the policies Kerry's pushing, destroy agriculture in this country. And here's, here's one of the senior Liberals in New South Wales cozying up to him, taking a photograph, saying how wonderful he is. Yeah, okay. mate, it's, 
Isn't it funny? I mean, I've always used Mark Latham as as the yardstick. You know, it's like you know the road down the road when it floods. I know exactly how deep the water is because I've got the stick there. And I mean, he's a guy who who was accused by so many as being the rat, the guy that deserted the, the sinking ship. You know, sorry, not the sinking ship. They don't think of it that way. Uh, the guy who was a rat, the guy who was um, promoted by, who was um, groomed, if you will, by that particular party. But mate, his views have been constant the whole time. And as we've seen the Labor Party just shift off to something that is tantamount to being worse than the Greens were, what, 15 years ago? Mate, we, Liberal Party is about where Labor was. Now, how the hell have the United Australia Party and, and Paul and Hanson's One Nation, how are they not filling that void already? Well, that's, is, that's is it the media? That's our big effort. Look, it, it is difficult to get any cut through in the media. Uh, you know, the media don't report on the things that we do. They don't report on our policies. And uh, when they do it, some, you know, sort of like attack, you know, so on some minor, minor issues sort of thing that, where they, they don't give the full detail. So we're up against We're really up against that. But uh, we can put the – we need to be there. We need to be keeping a strong voice because we can put at least some steel into the spine of the Liberals who are the alternate government. Now – you know, the, the the real chance for ourselves is in the next federal election has to be in the upper house where we can hopefully win seats in each state in the upper house and that would help give us the balance of power uh, and, you know, we could really put, as I said, some steel in the spine of the Liberals and sort of stop some of this madness that is happening. A lot, a lot of the things that are going wrong in this country, it's not because government is not doing something, right? It's because government is doing these crazy things. So you're actually better getting government out of the way letting, you know, the citizens of this country get on and fix the problems with it, is everything that government does appears to stuff things up and makes things actually worse. So if you've got a yes. strong, so so what you, this is why you need a strong uh, Senate, hopefully controlled by, you know, the minor parties such as United Australia Party, and you can stop this madness. It's not about pushing all these new laws through to do all these new great and wonderful things. It's about stopping the madness that the government wants to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think that the damage that the governments, not just here but around the world, have done to the people over the last three or four years, it's getting to the point where it's affected everybody closely. I'll share something with you here. Um, I was down in Sydney at Liverpool Hospital yesterday, and my dad just said that he's got six months to live. Uh, the side of the family who aren't as anti-vax as my mum's side of the family, we all didn't get the jab. The other side of the family... They all got it. And, I mean, again, I'm going to blame that. I'm going to blame the fact that my dad probably won't be with me in six months' time on that. And I, more and more people, I've been to a couple of mates' funerals who were in their 50s last year, mm. and, again, people who had just been vaccinated. I'm just wondering if if that and all the damage and that's been done, people are going to start waking up to, you know, the, the duopoly as it exists in all parts of the world and make some smarter decisions and choose the likes of, you know, yourself or a Pauline Hanson, you know, moving forward. Mm. And I just really hope that that is the case. And uh, they've done a tremendous amount of damage. So let's just hope that we can, there's not much else we can do other than learn from it and act and learn if we don't act, we're going to have to cop it. Well, I think the problem, one of the problems you have is human nature. You don't like to admit, you admit you've made a mistake. A lot of people that had lined up, you know, to be injected, you know, two, three, four, five, even six times, they don't want to admit to themselves that they've made a catastrophic mistake that could have compromised their health. They yep. just, you know, so they'll, they'll basically put the blindfolds on and you know, put the hand, fingers in the ears and, and try and block anything that comes out that shows that they got it wrong. But, you know, hopefully there's enough people that realise how wrong government got this. And if you go through, COVID is the best example. It would have been better if government hadn't have done anything. Yeah. Then you wouldn't, have had the lockdowns, right? you, you wouldn't have had the lockdowns. 
Everyone, uh, the vaccine manufacturers still have done done it. People wanted the vaccine, you could have gone and had it, right? If you were concerned about your your health, you could have sheltered in place. It would have kept the economy going. You know, and and, and if we didn't hey, do that, Craig, look, Craig we've, we've only got about. Seven seconds. But, mate, yep. and again, you, you'll never say it, but I'll say it on your behalf. Craig Kelly told you so. He really did. And, mate, you advocated for everybody. We've got to go, and we'll talk again soon at TNT.